What's up, guys? Welcome to the seventh episode of CMY. I'm Yaniel, and I'm here along with Christian and Mark. Today, we're going to talk about, well, we all finished watching Platon, the, I guess, documentary that Christian mentioned last episode. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And obviously, along with that, about portraiture. And then we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. Christian, you want the to documentary. Well, to, to correct you really quickly, the documentary is actually called, it's an episode of Abstract that's on Netflix. Um, the series covers a couple of different, you know, uh, I guess, design-centric folks. I don't know if that's the right word or whatever. Uh, everything yeah, from, like architecture it's, it's been, and so on. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, um, I think this is the only episode that they did on photography, uh, which is what caught my eye initially. It popped up on my YouTube feed and... Um, so I clicked on it and I started watching and it kind of caught my eye immediately because honestly, because he starts off using a Leica. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, he shoots Leica. He must be good. So, so hold on. I, on that, did you ever see what lens it was? I was trying to figure it out. Uh, uh, it's a, yeah, he it's mentioned, he mentions it. Yeah, he mentions a 21 somewhere in there. Yeah, all right. It's one of the wide ones. I was like, I don't know. I tried to pause it, but I couldn't, like, it didn't have enough quality. <laughs> also, I don't know if you notice how he shoots with it, but, like, he grabs a camera, like, at an angle. It's not, it's not like this or like this. It's kind of, he, like, focuses here and then corrects to shoot. Focuses, corrects. He, focuses, sure. Corrects. He, I know he's so using a, an external viewfinder. I don't, does that have anything to do with it? I mean, I'm well, yeah, because that's because you, would, you have to use, when you use, a wider lens than what yeah, your yeah. finder can hold. You have to focus with the range finder and then switch your eye over to the external viewfinder to like frame it, um, which is really annoying, but he seems to have it like down packed. Thinking about it, like maybe like tilting it at an angle, like straight lines are now diagonal and it might be easier to parallax them together. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably it could be what he's quicker shooting, to focus yeah. that way. Yeah. That and since he's sense. actually framing through it, he just needs to worry about focus. Yeah. Um, so this documentary starts off with him in the Greek islands, which I absolutely adore. I've been there a few times and the Greek islands are really special to me. That also caught my eye. Uh, but I had no idea who this guy was. I've seen his work, but just unknowingly had seen his work before. Uh, he is a very, very prominent portrait photographer, um, based in, I think his studios in London now, right. Or New York. Uh, I, I know. Is it London? Okay. I think I'm pretty sure they like British accents. So, and well, uh, he, yeah, he, he moved to, to, to London or to somewhere in, in the UK for a period of time. Okay. And, um, but I, I, I feel like New York is where the studio was for some reason. I, anyway, I mean, definitely you guys watch it and check it out and confirm so that for us. He's, um, he's a prominent portrait photographer and he's photographed so many celebrities and so many musicians, but more importantly, so many politicians and not just the good guys. Um, I mean, probably one of his most famous portraits is um, uh, Obama. I think he's done quite a few covers for Time Magazine. Um, yeah, we got, we got to copy this link in the description so people can watch it. Look at that bad boy. Look at that external viewfinder. It's humongous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's photographed all sorts of covers for all sorts of magazines. I mean, that that picture of Muhammad Ali is just so, like, such a yeah. big deal. Um, and I love how 
he uses these wide angle lenses and makes everyone look so big and powerful. And he photographed Putin, Gaddafi, uh, Chavez. I mean, you name it. And he's kind of been through the books, which is really, really impressive. I mean, there are really few photographers I can, I can name off the top of my head that have photographed so many politicians uh, and, and politicians that are infamous in the way that the ones that he, he is photographed are. Um, I love that picture so much of Edward Snowden. And he's just like holding the flag, like the way he's holding yeah. the flag and everything. Like, oh my God, it's so good, man. And then he has a photo of Ozzy that he took. That's like, he's like crying. Uh, he's like, he's, yeah. he's got like a tear in his eye. Oh man, he's just so good, dude. And you, in, in the documentary, you kind of see, you see his studio, uh, you see a little bit of like, uh, what equipment he uses, how he directs. Uh, there's a small part where um, he has uh, Colin, um, what's his name? Sorry, Colin Powell. Colin Powell, Colin Powell yeah. in the studio, and he's directing him. And he and he, and he says something that's really interesting. That's something like, it's not so much. I like before I photograph someone, I don't think so much about making the photograph as it is like making a connection with the person. And I think being a portrait photographer, that is just definitely such an important role. Um, and I think a lot of people worry so much about the technicalities of, of photography and like what lens you're using and the compression and the framing and the composition. And yeah, all that stuff plays its part, but there's nothing like the human connection that you have to make with the person that you're photographing. Um, and it's, it just, it shines when you see your work after knowing that you've made a connection with certain people and how bland photographs feel sometimes when you don't make a connection with your subject. That's one of the things I got from it. Um, like making a good photo, like a technically good photo, anybody could do is just basic sort of math and technique. You put the settings, use the flash. You could learn how to make a technically good photo but he actually got the emotion and how they mentioned the eyes of everybody in the photos that he does. I, I can never be a photographer like that just because I know I, I can't get that out of people. I don't even try. That's yeah. why I do candid stuff to actually like have that interaction. He says to be able to, he could sit down with anybody from freaking Chavez to Obama and have a conversation and get, get an emotion out of them and take a photo. I, yeah. I can imagine really myself cool. ever doing that. Yeah, it was really, really cool hearing him talk about his process too, because it, it didn't seem like here's this process I go through every day. It's like, it's like, hey, I, I really want to get to know these people. The first thing I do, you see him, he kind of like, you know, crouches down next to the guy and he, he talks about this box that he, he does the same, you know, uses the same box, the same white background for mm -hmm. like almost all the portraits and how he just, he sits down there and he can almost like, you know, leans over to talk to them and just understand and everything. And it doesn't seem like the typical portrait session release that, you know, I've seen or what you'd probably expect where it's like, you know, do this, make this pose, do this, you know, now do this a little bit. It starts off where it's just like, you know, tell me about yourself and yeah, what do you think about this? And, yeah. Conversation. And it's cool to see. Yeah how he researches everybody like when he like when the, he was doing uh putin's portraits he asked him like oh, yeah. oh something about the beatles and everybody was like yeah. how do you how do you know he likes the beatles yeah and he, like he said he read it like in some random article yeah so, and like that probably opened putin up so much mm -hmm. like when he heard it he's like oh this guy knows his stuff you know um yeah 
and I have to say that that also plays a part in how I even conduct business. Like when I ha when I shoot a portrait session or when I book a portrait session, my portrait sessions are an hour. Uh, but I always tell my clients, it's actually one of the first things I always say is I'm not in a rush. Like I'm here for an hour, but I'm here for you. And I want to get to know you guys and I want you guys to have fun. And I want this to be easy and comfortable. Um, and I say that knowing that people, when, when people get photographed, they're not comfortable. Like for the most part, 90% of the time, unless you're a professional model and even then professional models still get nervous and stuff like everybody gets nervous when they know they're going to be photographed. So you have to make that connection and you have to try to get people to be at ease um, before even taking a first frame. Cause if you just like, like stuff a camera on someone's face, that's like already nervous, they're going to, especially like one of my cameras, like I shoot with an SL2 and uh, the 50 SL Summicron, it's a big lens. Like, you pull that up to someone and it's like intimidating. Um, so sometimes I'll actually, what I've been doing lately is starting off with my Q, with my Q2 so that it's a little bit less intimidating. And it just seems like a smaller camera. Um, and it's just a mind trick of like, it's not as intimidating. Even with kids actually, it happened today where like the kid saw the camera and he kind of like would stand. I say that cause I, I photographed a, um, a kid session today and the kid just kind of like grappled onto his mom, like worried. And then I pulled out my little camera and he kind of like loosened up a little bit. And I was like, ah, less intimidating. <laughs> we so take it down five. Yeah. <laughs> He'll just run the other way. Yeah. You're like, mommy, what is that thing? Why is it so ugly? <laughs> <laughs> he just starts crying. <laughs> well, you know, that, so that actually makes me think, think about something. I, I don't know if you thought about this, but. I wonder if something is novel, like let's say a Polaroid camera for some of the shots, like being used would be kind of cool, right? You know, like, hey, especially with kids, right? It's like, I know with my kids, I have a little Fuji Instax camera and, you know, I'll take any picture and just the fact that they see it and like, you know, give them a couple seconds to look at it and have it, you know, show up. They're like, they get excited by that. So I wonder mm -hmm. if it'd be cool, especially to use in a, in a session with kids where it's like, hey, look, you know, we're going to take some pictures. You want to see, look, look, here's what it's going to look like. They're the ones you got to wait for. You know, we're, we're going to use the big camera and everything, but, you know, just to loosen them up, right? And maybe get them yeah. to hold on to the it's picture. That's a bad idea. Them, yeah, you know, so. You're I welcome. have a, a sofer. <laughs> I have a sofer that I can use for that. For yeah, sure. yeah, that, that's what I thought about it, yeah. So. Sim on that vein, like one of the things he mentioned was that since he's shooting film, they can actually see what he's shooting. So the photography is kind of like to the side. Like he's there taking photos right. of him, but they're not concerned about what he's shooting that much because he can't actually see it. As opposed yeah. to like when you have a shoot with a tethered digital camera and every single photo you have is popping up right there on the screen and the model, whoever you're photographing is seeing what you're shooting. I was actually yeah. watching uh, one of my favorite local photographers, uh, Anthony Nader, 52 Chefs. He's like a food photographer, cocktail photographer. He did this really cool shoot for Disaruno or whatever that alcohol is called. And he was showing his setup in his apartment when he was doing it. And he had two other people assisting him. And the second they got the shot, like one of the assistants runs over to see, like to try to see it already. He's like, no, no, wait, we're going to do another one. She, like, she had to like send her back. But like instantly, since it's digital, they wanted to see the result, like that very second it happened when film uh, just disconnects the photography. Mary Ellen Mark, um, actually, I've watched probably maybe like four or five interviews with Mary Ellen Mark in the past week or two. And 
in almost every single one of them, she mentions that when she did her workshops, that she would tell her students if they were shooting digital to like turn off the back of their camera, turn off the LCD and just not pay attention to that because you just have to know if you got it without using that. And, and I think part of that all circles back to like the connection and knowing yeah. that that person, you've made that person feel more comfortable and that that person feels like you're intrigued with them. Like, yeah, as a, that's, that's, act, that's actually what he called out in the, in the, the, the documentary, right? I mean, aside from obviously the, the model or whoever he's photographing, not seeing it or thinking about, oh, how did I come out? He himself is able to maintain, you know, f the connection, right? Because he's not looking like, take, you know, taking a picture and then looking and saying, okay, well, what do I have here? All right, you know, and then go again and go again. It's just like, click, click. I mean, he's looking down, but he doesn't leave that little realm there. So I think from the photographer, it also helps them stay engaged and connected because, you know, there's no distraction there, right? I mean, if you need to change the setting, you think you need to change the exposure, you just change it. There's no looking at a screen and then tweaking settings like that. So I, well, I think in his case too, it's a little bit easier because it's kind of like he's been doing the same space for so long. Like he doesn't even have to look at his exposure almost like he knows what settings are going to work perfectly. And that's it. Yeah. Like when, well, when no, doing he's not doing, did you not catch what's happening? There's another person coming up with a light meter exposing yeah. and then setting up a camera and handing them an entirely different camera. Like, here you go. <laughs> this one's ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I saw that. I was like, like whoa. <laughs> that's next stuff for yeah, Christian so right there. To do is, all he has to do is press the shutter button. Basically. Focus and press the shutter button. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, like you see the guy coming up with the light. Like, he's talking to Paul. And, like, the guy's got the yeah. light meter, like, on his neck, like, getting the shadow. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he hands him, like, a whole entirely different camera. I'm like, yeah. seriously? I, I didn't know that's why. I, I caught that he handed him the other. I saw the light meter, and I, I saw that he handed him the camera. I didn't, didn't know the two were kind of related. I thought it was just, all right, it, well. It might have been, like, a different focal length or something. But yeah. I'm sure he put the settings into the camera. Because yeah. they never, yeah. like, I never heard them communicate what the actual exposure was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's an interesting document. I mean, you know, we can talk about it all day long. And, you know, I think it still won't do it justice because it just, it's just worth the watch if you, you know, either like photography, like, you know, artistic people, just like, you know, even the human connection. I, I watched it and honestly, like, I just, what got to me the most, or at least what touched me the most, if you will, is just the way he approaches everything. Like, photography almost seems like a byproduct, like, you know, uh, just something that's a, a byproduct of his interest in humanity, right? I mean, there's a section in there about, uh, you know, photographing, like, uh, I, I think it was in Africa somewhere, um, you know, women that like go through a lot of like sexual trauma and everything like that and photographing mm -hmm. that and him talking yeah. about how he approaches that didn't just seem like, Hey, I'm just going to do this thing for national geographic or whoever it is. It was like, you know, he sat there and talked to them and like, you know, understood their stories and everything. So yeah, it's definitely worth the watch. Like in that scene, like what the, the thing he tells like his entire like that's when I realized like oh this is, when you first start watching it like high level artistic people are often kind of douchey and like I'm, <laughs> I went in there with that mindset and then that scene is actually the one that like changed my opinion of him well changed my preconceived opinion of him instantly yeah where he tells like his entire crew is like guys we're about to go in to a group of women that have have been sexually abused and we are a group of men yeah like yeah. for everybody to keep that, that in really mind interesting. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, he, he get it. He's like, you know, be very gentle, you know, take your time. And, and I was like, that's super, you to, like, you have to traditional awareness, you know? As, as a portrait photographer, as a people photographer, 
you have to be hyper aware of those types of situations. Um, that happens to me a lot. I mean, it's something that people, a lot of people don't think about maybe, but at, during weddings, it's like we always try to have time with the bride and groom beforehand and get to know them um, and always ask, like, are there things that we should know about within the family that maybe, like, shouldn't be mentioned or maybe there's someone that's not around anymore that shouldn't be mentioned or whatever it is so that you know words are really powerful and and your words during a, a high stress or high nervousness moment can really set someone off or or create the wrong kind of tension um in a room and in a moment so you have to be really careful what you say and really careful about how you conduct yourself uh i oftentimes find myself in a room full of women uh and i'll, I'll be literally the only guy in there and i essentially just i mean all you can kind of do is keep your eyes up and make sure that like you're looking at people in the eyes like hey i'm talking to you i'm directing you this is what i'm here for um all these things really play into into being a successful not just a portrait photographer but a, a successful person like it's just you have to be you have to be a, a people person to work with people yeah i agree I think just in a general sense, I mean, he's like, no, not me. Most, I don't think but, most people are, to be honest. Yeah. With you. I don't think most yeah, people I are. Think, I think that's, you know, not to get all like philosophical, but I feel like empathy is one of those things where it goes a very long way in just lots of different disciplines. I mean, in the business world and I'm sure in photography, just, you know, I, I, again, that's my personal belief and my personal approach thing is always just trying to understand where somebody else is coming from, whether or not it means that I, you know, or, or I'm accommodating or not, but just kind of trying to understand another person's perspective. So I think in the case of portrait photography, yes, right. That's, that's extremely important because you want to, to, for one, get the emotions that people are going to be happy about, right. You don't want to say something to take somebody else. You know, it's funny you mentioned like people that might not be around or anything like that. I could just imagine like, as you're saying that, like, you know, like, Oh, smile. Like the first time, like your, your mama gave you a lollipop or something. You're like, Oh, my mom died when I was one. I never met her. You know, like some stupid yeah. crap. Like that. You know, just, my I, mom just, died making, last year and they just yeah, started bawling you know? or something horrible. Yeah. Right. So yeah. You I mean, as, as simple as that sounds and as, as, you know, um, you know, benign as that would be, I mean, you know, there's no ill intentions behind that. I think it's important to really understand that. So you don't, you know, say anything <laughs> off base like that. Cause you know, might be fine to you, me, whatever, but you know, so funny enough, I think, um, well, from experience and also from watching this documentary, uh, I think men are really a whole lot more challenging to get to open up to a photograph um, and, and to get to open up to a moment. You know, I think guys like they're not interested for the most part in being photographed. A lot of guys are not interested. They're kind of just, at least in my case, they're kind of just doing it because their wife wants them to do it. Uh, and, and I try to address them first so that they know that they're being like, they're, they're present and that they're, that they're considered and not just yeah. like, in my mind, well, imagine if I didn't say anything and I feel like they would think like in my mind, like, oh, I know you're just here because you have to be and like, whatever. Like I'll say yeah. stuff like that out loud, 
to get them to laugh and like open yeah. up a little bit and be like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I hate being photographed too, which is true. Like I absolutely hate being photographed. <laughs> um, and, and I'm just like, I get it. Like, I, I know you don't want to be here right now. Like uh, I'm going to make this as easy as possible for you. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, like, as far as like involving the guy. And I mean, you know, obviously being a photographer of sorts, it, it's a little different. Like I kind of understand the photographer's point of view as well, not just behind being behind the camera. But for my engagement photos, we had an engagement session, you know, obviously this is like four years ago now. Um, the photographer shot some some um, shots on film. I think I think it was medium format, right, Yanni? Yeah, it was medium format. So, you know, we were talking on, and like, you know, I brought, I had my A7 at the time with the the, the Canon 5114 FD adapted. So I was like, oh, you know, I, I know we're going to some cool places. I'll, I'll snap some scene, some shots of like the scenery and, you know, the, the shots of my wife alone. But what was really cool was the photographer like handed me the camera. I was like, all right, I want you to take some shots of your wife. So like she literally had me her film camera to take some shots, showed me how to, you know, I remember what it was. I, I don't know if it was a me or whatever. Handed it to me. He was like, here, you know, take some shots of your wife. So she kind of like prepped my wife and posed her. And then like, it was like, you know, so she took a picture of me taking a picture of my wife with the, with the camera. And like, I, I thought that was just really cool because, you know, so I don't remember how it came up, but clearly she found out that like I was in the photography of some sort, maybe because I had the camera on me. And, you know, just her kind of offering that, I was like, that made me feel like super comfortable. It was like, oh, cool. You know, it's like shooting with a friend. It was just completely lighthearted after that, you know, right. and fun. So I right. had a imagine- the same photographer. Imagine and being in a room. Putin. No, you're good. I was just going to say, imagine being in a room with Putin and try to get him to open up. like <laughs> The Beatles. There you go. Yeah. We had a shoot with the same photographer and she actually gave my wife some rolls of film after the shoot too. Oh, nice. So she could, I was like, yeah, oh, look at that. And then that entire thing yeah. broke down because of communication Yeah. on yeah. the photographer's part. I think we both had the same issue. Yeah. Eventually. I mean, yeah, so I, we, I got stuff, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got it, stuff it, too. It, the business. Let's put it this way. The business side of that whole interaction wasn't the best, right? The photography was great. I mean, you know, engagement session, wedding day on point. I mean, helped out. It was just, you know, yeah. It it took a a PayPal chargeback claim for us to get our stuff. Yeah. For me, it just took a long time. Like, I hope I never find myself in that situation. Yeah, it took, I'd say it almost took like, we got married in September, I think it was. It took like a cool three months to get anything back, you know? We got our uh, wedding whatever. video from a different photographer. Well, a different videographer. I think it was nine months after our wedding. Oof. Wow. Yeah. I've heard of people, I've heard so many stories now, like doing this um, and people getting their stuff like a year later or more. Uh, I think the old school way of just like selling photos, like one by one and making an album instead of like a photo, just like things have really gotten so yeah. much easier and better with, with wedding photography. I think before it was, it was um, respectably a lot more complicated. Like, let me give Christian a little Yelp review right now. Christian got me our photos back faster than I thought about asking him when they're going to come. <laughs> <laughs> like, we never really discussed, like, delivery. And, and before, like, the thought even occurred to me, like, I wonder when I'm going to get these. I already had them back. I was like, all right. <laughs> nice. That was good. There you go. Uh, unbiased opinion of Arevalo and Co., so we uh we try it's been tough now with the, with the pandemic like having to edit everything ourselves um because we were working with a with an editing company that would at least like kind of do a first run and then i'd go in and really like perfect everything and now it's like 
from step one, we have to do everything on top of everything that we already do. So it's taking a little bit more time. True. Dang. I'm trying to see if I could find the damn, some of the photos that should show, because it's funny, I'm surprised I actually didn't end up shooting media, like starting to shoot medium format film myself because the photos came out phenomenal. Like I, I was impressed, but I don't know. I guess I didn't care much about film at that time. I don't know if I even was shooting like I'm a film. damn good photographer, if I can say, my, say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they came out really good. That medium uh, format's man. different, man. Like when I shoot every medium format photo I take, whether it's a good photo or not, it's just technically amazing when I look at the scans. I'm like, yeah. so much detail in here. Speaking yeah. of medium format, uh, I just watched... Uh, Joe Greer posted a video, I don't know, in the past couple of days, I think. Um, his mom found uh, Yashica Matt LM, I think it is, uh, at a thrift store for five bucks, and it's like in perfect condition. So he tested some stuff, uh, some photos out with his wife, and he did a whole video on it. And dude, that thing is amazing. Um, it started getting me thinking, like, I wonder how often people find like really amazing cameras at really crazy prices. Have you guys ever had really good luck with, with finding cameras at like, I don't know, at a thrift shop or garage sale or anything like that? Mark? Uh, not really. I mean, I guess the best deal I can probably say I got on a camera um, was either, actually a bunch of film cameras, my Canon AE1P and A1 and also the Nikon L35AF. I feel like I got them before, like, there was this rush on the cameras. So, like, I bought, I think the two cannons for, like, you know, sub $100 price range. And then when I went to sell it, I actually sold it for more than I got it for. I just remember that now as we talk about film. Mm -hmm. And then um, the Nikon, before, you know, we started recording, um, I decided to just look it up. And I, it, it's not significantly more, but I think I paid, like, 80 bucks for it. And they're going for, like, 100 120 and change right now on eBay. So, um, probably those things. And I think that's just, you know, trends, right? I mean, it, it, that's going back to what we, I think we talked about a little bit before, right? Is that, you know, let a YouTuber grab onto a camera, make a review about, you know, this obscure camera that is, is so amazing and how it's like, you know, the, the best steal because it's so cheap and you can get them on eBay and boom, you know, the prices skyrocket. Thank you, Matt, <laughs> for yeah. backing up the price of my M6. I can imagine <laughs> after Joe Greer released that video, the price of that Yashica Matt went up like 200 times. Yeah. So th this isn't really about a good deal, but it's kind of that real estate quote. The best day to buy a Leica was yesterday. The second best day is today. I got my M4, I think it was like for 900 bucks. Now like the average price I'm seeing them for is $1,400. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm six. I don't remember what I paid for it, but I'm seeing them now going for $700 more than that. And the price is only going to keep on going up. 1800 and now they're going for like 2500 everywhere. And yeah, that was yeah. not even a year ago, I think. Nope. They're just I going paid, up and up I, and up. I paid, I think, I think it was either June or July last year, because I remember I, I was actually in Chicago and looking on eBay to try to find an M6 because I was so, you know, amazed by the M240 and that experience. So I think I got one in, let's call it June, July, and I paid 1600 And it was on the high end, but it was, a, you know, one good shape. And I got it on eBay and you can look on eBay right now and I don't think you'll find one, you know, again, under two grand and like a store is, you know, basically two grand and up, right. Two grand plus. I don't and remember I, I looking at Fred Miranda forms, two grand and up. So, you know, our friend Adam, when he got his M6, 
I don't remember how much he paid, but I want to say it was like $2,000, which I thought was an extreme amount of money for it. But it was new old stock. This camera came wrapped. It was still brand wow. new in the box. Oh, man. And he got it, what, like two and a half years ago, maybe two years ago? She, yeah, he got it. That camera yeah. today will be worth four grand. Yeah. He's yeah. insane. New in a box like that? Yeah. Brand for new. Sure. Unshot. Damn. Like dude, he even peeled the little sticker off the bottom. Can you imagine? I've always thought about like, imagine just like some old person that had like an old, like, good store or something have like two or three m2s or m3s just sitting there brand new like new old stock kind of like yeah, flash I'm, paint. Sure, I'm like, sure they are somewhere and some guy in Abu like Dhabi 10, is gonna buy them grand by now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well so, you know it's funny like just just perusing the the like i think it's like a subreddit on on reddit um you find these these stories of people like just you know hey they're not new old stock but it's like hey you know there's this mint condition set of leica equipment that my grandfather you know was cleaned out his attic and found it's like that happened to sarah like, dici the youtuber sarah dici her grandfather gave familiar. her like an entire leica kit like not just like yeah. one or two lenses like four lenses and like two cameras maybe that's like, what i saw that i don't know the name yeah. but i remember like there's some youtube video i saw about some you know uh, woman that got like a bunch of stuff from her grandfather or something somebody yeah, like must that, have so. been that one yeah yeah um, I got, so I've gotten a few good finds. I got my Olympus XA, the little tiny rangefinder, 35 millimeter for $25 with a leather case and the flash, <laughs> the A11 flash. It works perfectly. Um, I love that little camera. I got, um, my grandfather gave me a, a perfect condition, uh, Olympus pen that he bought for Oof. my aunt and uh used to take to cuba to photograph with um awesome yeah i have that sitting here i bought a polaroid cool cam which goes for 180 dollars on polaroid.com for five dollars at a garage sale like a few blocks away from my house uh not with a box but with the manual um so that was pretty cool um is oh, that pen one's really the half good. frame I was just about to ask the same thing. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's not the pen. It's the Olympus Trip 35. <gasps> oh, I love that one. Next to me. That little camera. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've actually uh, been wanting to buy one of those recently. Yeah. This is it right here. Look how perfect uh, it is. It's literally like perfect. Does the meter on the front, like the little light thing still work? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to say the word. Selenium <laughs> battery. Selenium battery. Knock yourself out. Um, <laughs> And then I think the best deal was my uncle in Milwaukee got me a Nikon F in perfect condition in a leather case with a 28, sorry, 24 millimeter 2.8 and a 50 millimeter 1.4 in perfect condition. Like no haze, no dust, no fungus, like both come in a leather case with the caps and everything for a whopping $3. Jeez. Like the yeah, original you know Nikon F. You know, it's funny. You just reminded me. Um, a couple of years ago, my wife, my father-in-law, um, gave me a Nikon film camera. Had some fungus in the lens and stuff like that. I don't know why I didn't really look at the body. Um, but basically, he's asked me, oh, you know, is this usable? I was like, oh, well, there's fungus in the lens. I mean, whatever. And I gave it back to him, but I never really looked into it any further to see, okay, well, what shape the body was in. I mean, it was in good shape. It didn't look beat up. 
but I should ask her again to see what, what he's doing with it because he's not going to use it. I think he maybe were, was trying to sell it or something like that. Maybe I should just grab it off him and just put it on the shelf or something like that, you know? Use yeah. it every now and then. Yeah, I think I have, it was like an FM2 or something like that. I can't remember now. It's a while ago. I have a, an Olympus Stylus Epic. No, sorry. It's the Japanese version. So the, the, Mew. the, Olymp- the Mewtwo. Um, and I, I have with the leather case, the original leather case that has like the Olympus logo on it. And I think I bought that for like 125. Um, but sometimes I see them for like 300 bucks or more. Jeez. Yeah, because they got super popular on YouTube, and I think some celebrity used one or something. Mm. Yeah, and that's it. Just like that the contacts yeah. T2. Oh my god. Yeah, I think like Kylie like Jenner or something got one, and yeah, that was it. Yeah, Kylie Jenner and done. then Drake. Um, yeah, I think uh, Frank Ocean. Um, I actually just saw Met Gala with that with that camera. Mm-hmm. It's over. funny you mention, and I'll find it while you guys are talking. I just saw this week somebody posted a picture of Frank, and I think it's an old picture. I mean, it's probably been circulating well of Frank Ocean shooting um, uh, an M6, but he's holding it kind of wacky, like he's kind of holding it. Like I, I don't remember. I, I'll look at the picture and see if I can put it up. But it's just really funny to look at. But yeah, it, that that's that's what Frank happens, Ocean, right? Dude. I mean, with Frank with all those, yeah, his yeah his I guess orange. What is it again? Channel orange something channel orange yeah or chanel orange whatever yeah i love that album that's pretty good blonde is one of my all-time favorites i think it might be in my top 10 at least maybe top five yeah the trends will get you man that that's and i think that's that's what you have to do is like unfortunately beat a trend if you're trying to get like a deal of stuff before yeah, anybody realizes i think i think anything that has a like a name on it uh for a long time just kind of was like it's too expensive for me as a photographer and uh that's awesome yeah so he's holding it kind of wacky great, right? man. um so i think like for a long time like it was like it's too expensive for me as as a photographer to use uh or to get one so it's kind of like whatever mm-hmm. like people didn't really think too much about it and then that's when you can get really what would be considered great deals now but back then was still really expensive for like a camera or whatever uh like in the 90s imagine how much i don't know how much an m6 would cost in the 90s probably like 800 bucks or something i imagine so it's even i think that's right. one of the things people are realizing they're like like rolex is basically you buy a used rolex today it's never going to be worth less than what you paid for it so you Dude, buy this camera sometimes you don't drop it on the floor you rent it if you yeah, ever want to get rid uh, of it i have a buddy who sells rolex and he was saying that he, like during the pandemic he basically sold out of everything and he can't keep up with demand because rolex the factory stopped making watches because of covid and he said that he's selling watches that normally would go for you know six to ten grand for like 15 to 20 um Jeez. and that he has like a ton of custom orders like everyone wants the bling now for some reason like um and i think that that is also happening with like uh and it's been happening for maybe the past year and a half to two years where it's just like this crazy demand for like um and everyone now is realizing like what amazing cameras they are and that they are worth what you know you pay for them and they so, last you a lifetime I got, I got a theory on that too because i mean as somebody who kind of picked up their first like in last year or so and you know, Macy had that same process and went through that same realization. I wonder how much of it is accessibility. And I'll, and I'll tell you why I say that. So, you know, 
I still kind of am into cars, but back when we were into cars, like, you know, certain cars like M3s and S2000s were out of reach for like a certain, you know, group, group, basically age group, right? I mean, to, to buy like, let's say a 30, 40, $50,000 car, you kind of had to be working, you know, full, full-time professionally, have a good job and everything to afford that and, and, and so on. And I remember growing up, like M3s are like this lofty goal, whatever. And I, I have an M3 and, you know, I bought it used also, um, you know, like a couple of years used. And now I'm seeing, you know, what I would consider kids like they, you know, my friend that I told that we talked about a couple episodes back uh, that made the print that's up on the wall there. Uh, you know, he's like 10 years younger than me. Right. And he has the same car as me. And I wonder, you know, when we talk about like the used market with some of these, these cars or cameras, if as they depreciate and the prices come down to an affordable level, yes, it might still be expensive for what you're getting. You know, there's like of the camera or in this case, like a car or whatever. Uh, I wonder if that's driving that demand because if you, what I started to realize is in the digital world, right? When you talk about Leica cameras, you, as far as M's, you really only had the M8, M9, and M240, and now the M10, right? So, you know, M8 was crop sensor. I mean, I, I honestly don't know too many people that have any or have really, you know, they're not as popular as I think. M9 seemed relatively popular. And then the M240 is almost like the camera I see a lot of people recommending like, Hey, if you're just getting into this, your, your choice is an M9 or MT40. Right. Yeah. And you're talking right now, you know, we're talking about prices or, or, or deals or earlier on, you know, you're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of like high thousands to low mid, low to mid twos, which again is a lot of money for a camera. But if you were considering buying a brand new camera anyway, I mean, any of these newer, you know, full frame cameras with more tech will probably cost you, in or around that much, right? So right. I wonder if the, the the demand that we're seeing for Leica or anything kind of follows that same thing, where as a specific model of a of a, of a you know device or a car or whatever it is, you know, becomes uh, the used market. I'm sorry, right? Grows right. They actually have used examples for you to pick up that are in good ten- condition and have gone through any kind of depreciation hit. If that makes you know it more accessible and therefore you see more people doing it, and then the prices end up kind of going back up or at least maintaining. Well, I don't definitely. know. I mean, what can be said about like a film stuff though? Like, when do you think there will ever be a point that a black M2, a black paint M2, or black paint M3 will be less than like four or five? Well, that's different, well, right? That's, because they, but go ahead. that's the thing though. Like, exactly, it'll never drop in price. So if you buy, if you buy one now for let's say it costs four thousand dollars, it's a very rare camera. In ten years, there's going to be less of them available, and they're going to be less in good condition. Mm-hmm. So in you could take, you bought that camera for $4,000 and you could, if you don't use it much and you keep it in good condition, you could probably sell it for more than what you paid. If yeah. you abuse the heck out of it, you might sell it in 10 years or $500 less than what you paid. I don't know. Yeah, same the thing. more brass they are, the more expensive they are. Hey. It's true. And you, <laughs> you put somebody's fam- famous it's name true. on it, yeah, but true. look at Mark's 240. I'm pretty sure you've had it for a like, for how long now? Year and a couple of months. And you're selling it for pretty much the same thing you got it for. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the price hasn't gone down. Yeah, well, I yeah. Mean, I mean, the, market, the going, like, yeah, the going, the going. That's prices, what I'm saying. Like, if, you know, even if you can't really afford an M240, like it's kind of out of your price range. Like, if you're not gonna like skip meals to buy this thing, but like, you know, like I should probably put some money aside for like the future. Buy the 240. Use it for yeah. a year. Resell it. You lost nothing. Yeah. Or, or do what I did. Right. Cause I mean, going back to like my experience getting into like a, right. I bought the 240 
kind of thinking about, well, that whole thing, right? Like at worst case, because these things hold their value, I'd consider it a rental period, right? I'd probably lose a couple hundred bucks over a period of time, like assuming yeah. and I actually use it, put it in a little bit worse condition than I had it. And, you know, I mean, it, it's really held up, right? I mean, it, I have put a couple, like, you know, again, it's a, it's a black paint 240, right? So it's going to have some embarrassing, but in the like world, that's actually acceptable, right? It, it's kind of expected and because of durability. So I'm looking around and like, I think I told you guys, right? Like I actually had mine listed in, in a lower condition rating than somebody else. And like somebody posted the exact same camera, you know, with the only difference being an extra battery for the same price. And it looked a little bit more beat up than mine, to be honest with you. So, you know, but the way I looked at it was, you know, I use it for a while. If I don't like it, I can resell it right back and get my money back. Right. Cause obviously it wouldn't have been beat up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, worst case, I lose a couple hundred bucks and I consider it a rental fee. Right. It cost me a yeah, hundred bucks, totally. bucks to mm-hmm. use it for a period of time, enjoy it, figure out if I want it or not, rather than have to just, you know, okay, I spent, you know, all this money on this camera and I'm stuck with it and I'll never get my money back. Right. Or mm-hmm. get pennies on a dollar for it. So, right. so yeah. So I think totally. that's, what's, you know, contributing to, I think, not just the demand and you see people with them now, um, but, you know, also in the film world, I think it's, it's the, you know, you mentioned earlier, like you'll, they'll, you're not going to get more film cameras. So I think the prices of the film cameras will always go up because they're just, they're not making anymore. Right. There's no, right. besides the MP and AMA, there's really no new Leica that you can buy. It's a film, film Leica. Dude, and once uh, the and, MP is out, like yeah. people are going to pay up the wazoo for a real like yeah. black paint MP. The only, the only risk I see, and I've thought about this a couple of times, is that if film goes away, and I think we're very far away from that, to be honest with you, but it's possible. I mean, you know, I've talked to Yanni about it where, you know, I feel like film development and the process, you know, is not particularly sustainable. And as people start talking about more like environmentally friendly stuff, I'm sure this is one of the casualties we may, may come across, you know, I mean, i, I develop my film at home and I feel like I waste a ton of water and you know there's some stuff that ends up going down the drain I don't know how bad it is you know I mean I'm not doing tons and tons of it but that's the one risk about film is that it is you know basically the medium is consumable right so it, it's not like digital you buy a memory card and you, you have as many pictures as you want and there's just an electronic sensor a, a digital sensor so that's the only risk I see to that but we have that fear based on pretty much like Polaroid going away but the problem with like Polaroid was one company that had all the chemicals, all the technology to do this. And once they disappeared, impossible to come around and like try to re-engineer it. And now they're Polaroid again, but it's not really the same. But there's so many film companies that it's going to, it's going to take. Yeah. I don't see film going away probably in our lifetime. Yeah. I don't yeah. I, I agree. Right. I mean, that, that's what I was trying to make the point. I was like, it's I don't think it's anytime soon. I, it's surprising like that it ever almost went away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, again, I think it's a trend thing, right? I mean, think about all the like reemergence of like film and film being cool. And like, we're, yeah, we're talking, we're talking think- earlier about Valandis and he, he has this video. I don't know if you guys see it. There's a, a guy, uh, uh, I guess he's YouTube photographer, whatever, by the name of Valandis, V-U-H, like Landis, whatever. He has an episode where he's making fun of like film photographers. He goes shot on film, like, you know, hashtag shot on film. And um, it, it's funny because I feel like when I think about the film world, yes, you have some people who have like are really dedicated to it, like the Matt Days, the William Verbeeks and so on like that. But I feel like they're definitely, you know, a trend of shooting film or, you know, some influx of people, you know, shooting film because of just the novelty of it. I mean, myself included, I, that's really what I started shooting film for. Yeah. I felt, like the, 
I fell victim to the trend too. I hate the I, people that shoot film and they post unedited blah 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 film. I'm like, yeah, it's not unedited. It if you if it's black and white, like how long did you develop this for? How did you agitate this? Yeah. How did how did you scan this? What developer did you use? What yeah. Everything you did just changed how that film was going to look at the end. Plus, your yeah. scanner is going to scan. Every single scanner is going to scan it differently and whatever settings you put in. I yeah. hate, 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 hate when people are like, yeah. shot on film, hashtag portrait 400, unedited. I'm like, no, this is edited like more than a digital image probably is. Yeah. is every step of the <laughs> no, way. It's, it's absolutely true. To modify this. Yeah, yeah we, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, so I changed up my, well, I wouldn't say change up because I haven't, shot any new film but i was looking into i guess let me expand on the conversation there's a photographer that i follow on youtube and we, we chat every now and then uh corona creative uh, i forgot it's edgar corona um mm. you know he, he just started shooting film and so he has a bunch of i think it's portrait 800 shots and i'm like man i was like the color reproduction is is great like you know i get kind of wacky color shifts every now and then and i couldn't tell if it's my dev process or the scanning or both or something like that um you know but he I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, your color reproduction is really good. What are, what's your process? You know, what are you using to dev chemicals or anything like that? And, you know, we lined up I and mean, we're basically using the same kit. He's using a sous vide to, to um, you know, to, uh, you know, regulate the temperatures. And the only difference, and he's actually using the exact same scanner. The only difference was he was, he was using Negative Lab Pro and um, uh, ViewScan for the scanner. So I was like, you know what? I'd, I'd mess around with negative lab, negative lab, yeah, negative lab pro, uh, like a year ago when I first, you know, started uh, scanning my own film or looking into doing it. And you know, it, it at the time I think it was like an early version, so it really wasn't that robust, if you will. And then when I got this this scanner that I used, the Plus Tech eighty two hundred I, it um, didn't support it. The raws that came out of that, so I kind of like put it to the side again. I tried it a couple times and just was like, eh, whatever. Uh, but I gave it a shot now. And both had trial versions, right? So the ViewScan software had a trial version, and so does um, you know the uh, Negative Lab Lab Pro. So ViewScan, just for reference, I'm using Silverfast, which came with the Plus Tech. It's super slow, first of all. It's kind of a bulky application, and I was just doing like all the there, which goes back to what Yanni was saying I have full control over what the hell goes on. Right? You know what I mean? Like I could have the wrong light one day, and it looks different from one day to the next so it's not there's no straight from the negative scan you still have to manipulate colors to get everything right, right. or anything um but in any case you know the view scan software is way lighter way faster it can do the dust and like scratch um reduction if you do the dngs whereas like the uh solar fast does not so i was like i was impressed by that and a negative lab pro what it allows you to do in that workflow is you just scan like a bunch of DNGs, basically just run the scanner to scan like raw DNGs and not worry about it. Cause you're not doing color correction there and you use negative lab pro to like manipulate the colors. And what I found just in my experience is that as long as like, it's a good exposure, there's very little I have to do to it, like to be acceptable for me, you know? So I, if you will switched over the weekend or the last couple of days to that, where I'm like, you know, going forward, anything I scan or shoot, like kind of go back through everything else is going through those two because uh, it's just going to simplify the whole workflow. And again, you know, I, I was going to actually try it with the Silverfast software because it was like, I already have it. Um, but I just kind of went all in and just bought both. So it's not cheap, but you know, again, it, it simplifies the process. So 
I think that's important with film, like to, to be happy with the way that you're developing and the way that you're scanning and everything. Um, and like for me, when I shoot film, I just send it out because <laughs> I know that I'm personally not going to be happy sitting there and like developing and scanning. It's just like time consuming for me. And I, it, I just not an interest of mine to do that. Uh, whereas I know people like you, for example, that just they don't mind and they love it and it create really creates like a unique style. Yeah. For me, it, it's an extension. I think I may have mentioned this before. And it's, you know, double edged sword. It's, it's kind of an extension of experiencing or enjoying, I'm sorry, the, the, you know, the art of photography, right. You know, it's like, okay, beyond just taking the pictures. So I, I guess to give a, a little bit more context, like the reason I like shooting film now is just, it's, you know, complete different tactile process. Like, especially with the M6, it's like, you know, super quiet camera, very simple, just a click when you, you take the shot and you move on. Um, and then developing it allows me to really enjoy it a little bit more where instead of sitting in front of a computer and, you know, uploading files and everything, it's like, all right, I finished shooting. I may not touch it again for like another week. I'll sit in my, you know, makeshift dark room in my laundry room and develop a role, may sit another couple of weeks and then maybe I'll scan it later on. So for me, it just allows me to enjoy like a delayed enjoyment of what came out of the camera instead yeah, of like, it like, like extends the yeah, environment. Right? Yeah, instead it. of like saying, Hey, I go shoot, you know, some event or, you know, maybe even just in the backyard with the kids and like quickly run back to my computer and stick it in the Lightroom. And most times to be honest with you, like sometimes I just leave it there and never edit it either. So I, yeah. it's a little bit more, you know, dedicated time on it. So for sure. It also has that sure. benefit of when you see somebody else's photo that's similar to yours, but it's not yours that you always think that their photo is better when you take a photo on film and you don't develop it for like a month and a half, when you get that photo back, you don't even remember what you were trying to get out of that photo. <laughs> yeah. So when you see it, you're like, that's really good. It's like a stranger <laughs> yeah. shoddy. Yeah. yeah. That's it, what it I is, shot of it. It is like that. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, follow us on Instagram, cmy.cast. Uh, we are doing a little bit better about posting and we're definitely doing <laughs> I think we're doing great. I think we're doing great. This is all still new to us. Uh, we're still finding better ways to do this. Um, but leave your likes and comments below. Please subscribe. That helps us a lot. And um, anything else you guys want to add? Let us know if you've got any good deals on cameras or anything in the yeah. comments. Yeah. yeah. Let us know what you do. found. Please do. And then you can sell it to us for the same price you got it. Just like Mark's doing to everybody else. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, let us right. know. I mean, any, any topics you want us to discuss too. I mean, you know, um, we definitely want to talk about things that are relevant to you guys. So, you know, feel free to leave those in the comments as well. So. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Cool. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week. Later, guys. Later, guys. Later.